0: This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it.
1: I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker.
0: And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne.
1: Hey stranger. How are you doing, Ruben?
0: I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I've changed. I feel like I've grown since we've we've been on the show. I've I've grown taller. I've I've matured. matured? It's been been enough time that I've you look you look fantastic. Thank you.
1: Always a nice thing to say on radio.
0: Yes. You have like a you must have a like a a painting in the attic or something that's not doing so well, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like there must be something
1: I, I i i that'd be great actually if i could uh if i could only just you know have that hidden forever and ever it'd be perfect mm.
0: i feel i feel bad that it's been so long since we've done these i i really do like doing the shows um
1: me too <laughs>
0: but, but i guess life i don't know how people actually fit this in like every week they record a show I don't, I don't know how.
1: I would say that they've, they they're very good at scheduling. Um, they are. We also say like, what is Maybe what is our goal? What is it's 2024 now? Happy Okay. New
0: year. Happy new year. Um,
1: what is, what is our goal this year?
0: Well, let's, let's commit to, okay. Well, if not monthly, maybe quarterly episodes, somewhere between monthly and <laughs> quarterly. I don't think we can pull off every day or weekly. So let's just.
1: Every day photography, every day, every quarter.
0: Every quarter. Every day photography <laughs> this year. Yeah, this quarter. Um, that would be that would be a start. I would take that. Mm-hmm. Um, just get it in in your schedule. What what else is um? We'll have more guests. You know, uh, this was a spontaneous uh show, but I actually have someone for um our I'm, next I'm,
1: episode. Our next episode.
0: Here? I think he's coming on our next episode. Uh, I will tell you that when I was a kid, his pictures were in our house. He was a um professor at the University of Florida of okay. photography, along with Jerry Yulesman and uh, other people we've talked about. But he, some in, like I always liked to. stuff. In fact, behind me, that's one of his pictures, that cat, that weird cat picture. Can you see Ooh, it back there?
1: I he's, feel like this is testing my photographic knowledge of, <laughs> uh, of paintings we, or photos we, we've discussed. I'm forgetting. Yes. His name is
0: Wallace Wilson. And okay. um, I'd been looking for him for years, like try to find this guy. The internet should help me find him. I've got a, a lot of his photographs here. They really inspired me. Uh, mm-hmm. I think almost at the same level, uh, maybe not to the extreme of Yulesman, just because he was closer to their family. But mm-hmm. uh, but his pictures it's stick in your head, like they're just and they in that Yulesman um, fabrication, they're really Cartier Bresson e, they're Irwin e, mm-hmm. they are. Um, these he's sort strange... of setting
1: them up and then taking the moment. Yeah. He
0: just gets these strange juxtapositions in mm-hmm. a very haiku way. I think I think that he demonstrates haiku. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to having him on the show because I'm certain he's never heard that uh, that description of his work. And I don't know what he's been doing for many years, but I look forward to meeting him. I haven't met him. You know, he just, I, I I've really? been searching around. I found him online. He finally- Where he, is he re- living now? I think he's in South Florida. He might be a uh, professor, dean somewhere. Uh, I mean, we'll le- we'll know so much soon. Great.
1: Well, I I can't wait to start my research.
0: <laughs> I know. So that will be. Uh, so that's an upcoming episode with Wallace Wilson. You know, and speaking of Elliot Erwitt, since our last show, I'm sorry to say that the great Elliot Erwitt has passed. Um, possibly, you know, one of the most fantastic 20th century photographers. Um, he had a great write-up in the new york times a, a wonderful mm. obit uh he they had a special on on the today show i believe um and i was talking with rick Smolin. uh rick and Gen- Jennifer is his, his jennifer irwitt uh, mm. rick smolan is his son-in-law and rick sent me a note that said that in a very typical elliot Irwitt way the obituary in the new york times the guy who wrote it died before Irwitt did <laughs> the, the obit had been written in the past, I guess, and he oh. passed on. So that's just so, that's so perfectly Elliot Erwitt is the obituary yeah. writer died before the guy he was writing about. Um, Maybe
1: so, we should do a show about his work and just talk about it. I would
0: love to get uh, Rick and Jennifer on here to talk mm-hmm. about Erwitt. Uh, he just was such a, a a wonderful photographer. And I don't know if you remember, even on the wall of Neomodern, I had that quotation. Mm-hmm. That was, that's how important it was. It was like embossed in the wall of my business um, yeah. about photography. Uh, he was basically saying that it's it's not about what you see, it's about how you see it. And yeah. you know, that's just so perfectly true. So um, so those, those were little news I wanted to mention. And I also have um, a haiku workshop starting on Monday. There may be a spot left. I don't know if anyone's listening to this and, and hears it over the weekend check it out. There's like one more, one more position Then that's starting
1: Monday, January 9th.
0: That is correct. And that is going to, that's that's the only haiku workshop I have scheduled this year so far. Is Um, this
1: in Santa Fe or is this a virtual hybrid? It's a
0: virtual. So you can be anywhere on earth and join us for that, uh, zoom workshop, but, um, the Santa Fe workshops, uh, persuaded me to come up with another workshop that sort oh, of dovetailed fantastic. with the haiku. And so in March, I'm offering the first edition of a composition workshop. It's called the Art of Composition Revisited. And, you know, I've, I've spent the past bunch of weeks since her show, month maybe, uh, yeah. just digging into how people teach photographic composition, you know, and I just, I read a bunch of books and seen what's going on and it's so summarily poor It's just, uh, I want to say it's horrible, but maybe that's too strong a word, but it's really really not how anyone composes. And I think photographic composition tends to be, we'll tell you some things, we'll show you some pictures and ultimately do whatever you want and you can decide whether you like it or not. And Mm -hmm. there are rules and they just can all be broken. And I don't think that's a very useful way to talk about it. And we talk about it in the haiku class as a part of the structure. But I like this composition workshop because it doesn't it doesn't go back to haiku. Like you don't have to be getting the rest of those complicated elements, moments, versus object or any of that. And you just focus on how you compose a picture, what decisions you're making, what it means to change the positions of the elements and stuff like that. So I'm really excited about it. Um, and so that's coming up. You can sign up now at the SFW site. Let me Great. think, was there any, and then one of the things that, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of talk with you about today is when we last tuned in, I got went on kind of a jag about authenticity, you know, that's sort of mm-hmm. my my thing. And you've got your position, I got my position about what, <laughs> what constitutes authentic and, and photography in general, but I've had a, a small change of heart. Like, I, I think okay. it, I'm embarrassed because of course, as this, ep, as this podcast continues to go through the years, I changed my mind about almost everything, <laughs> but something's, uh-huh. okay. I'm kind of boiling it down. And, uh, you, you want to talk about this now? Is that okay?
1: Or? I I would love to. Yes. Keep going. Especially if it means it might be right. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: uh, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, you are right. Well, I think the feeling I had isn't that, um, some photos are, are authentic and some aren't, or those kinds are true or not true. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have gone back to the fundamentals of photography, of Weston talking about it. And the fact is that all photography, top to bottom, is a contrivance, is a fiction. It all is. There's no, there's no authenticity in photography, no matter what. And, and the anomaly is that for 50 years, Or or so, a hundred years, maybe almost. You could kind of usurp photography's fiction to relay, convey facts of various kinds, but you you always had to process that this was a fiction, that someone had created this, and thereby
1: other things were cropped out. They just
0: chose to point the camera in this direction. They wanted to call your attention to that thing based Mm -hmm. on what they think is important. Now, they might have the the greatest of ethics and want to try to convey as honestly as possible what's going on. But even if that's what they're doing, it's them doing it. It's not inherent in the scene. It is a fiction. It's like writing a story. You can make it journalistic, but it also could be made up and it looks the same. right? Um, And so... Where that where I went to is okay, if all photography is fiction and we're accepting that, why does it matter about AI? Why does it matter about Photoshop? Like what is that aspect a- and what are you changing? And mm-hmm. what I, I've kind of come to is that if you if you add something to a scene or remove something from a scene, it is no longer a photograph. It is more likely to photographic art, I would say mm-hmm. it's closer to a painting, a painting where you've divorced it from time, and it's no longer specifically about the thing seen. It's just this creative creation that you've made that mm-hmm. gives someone a feeling. And the only difference between not doing that and doing it, since everything is kind of a fiction, to me, is what defines photography. In photography, you need to be able to point at something in the world and be like, "That's that was out there. The, the mm-hmm. things that I'm showing you happen concurrently in time. And that time element is what makes it photography. The minute mm-hmm. you take it out of the time element, meaning I put it in later, it wasn't there. I changed where it was as if it was moving. Now you're painting with light. Mm-hmm. Now you're mm-hmm. do, uh, in a photographic art. And I would never Collaging say-
1: with objects or- Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I would not call it not art. I would say it's in the same kind of arts as graphic design and painting and, and, you know, Photoshopping It, it, it is. it's a, it, it has a great tradition, but mm-hmm. it is different from the work of photographers to try to compose and try to show you something that is out there, that is, was out there, you know? And so I feel like if you add something in that wasn't there you remove it from photography it becomes a, a, a photographic painting of some sort mm-hmm. and if i take something out completely it's also as false but that is different from removing some of the emphasis on something so i can take the light down to a point but there becomes a moment when it becomes false by removing it completely and i think it's a I, personal I think, ethic yeah. it's a personal ethic because there's no real hard line but if i take something yeah. out to zero so it, it wasn't like it was there. That is over a line for me, it might not be for everyone, but if I just take it down so it's it's dimmer, let's say, so it's as if it was shot in the dark a little more or you just don't notice it as quickly, it's still in the frame, it's still in its position, I've just de-emphasized it. And that's more akin to all the things you do with the camera to emphasize and de-emphasize different aspects of what I wanna show you. So again, we have the the baseline, which is all of these things are fictions, I'm not trying to pretend some are more right. real than others, but I, but I feel like you need to stick a stake in the ground and say, that was I didn't add or subtract anything from the scene. I'm just changing the lighting on the things in the scene. And that is, that is acceptable in, as it, because I'm not changing the time. I'm just changing the attention at some level.
1: So photography is an art form that is based on a moment in time. Objects can be emphasized or de-emphasized, but cannot be removed or, you know, added Added. from
0: fiction. Something like that. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of photographers who subscribe to that. I mean, I don't think I'm alone in this. There's a group, a body Mm -hmm. of photographers out there that just look at retouched things that add things and take things out. Not as not being art, or maybe they get very violent about it and say it's not art. But I would say that it's not photography. It's closer to painting.
1: And then where do you, so just going down this a little bit further, I like that you're calling out that it's a moment in time. I think that helps make it clear. Um, But as far as, for example, a studio photograph of a model um, mm-hmm. that is going to be used for maybe it's a portrait that is, you know, beautiful and is meant to be art. Maybe it is something that is uh, commercial and it's uh, going to sell a product. Mm-hmm. Um, but then airbrushing and changing things where you're emphasizing, you're changing the emphasis of certain elements. I but think where you you I
0: think you, I mean, again, it's a personal ethic. It's like journalistic mm-hmm. ethics. I, yeah. I don't know that I could say exactly where the line is, but as I take out a blemish on your skin, I am removing mm-hmm. something. It's not just t- just taking out attention. Even if I'm taking out dust, I'm taking out something. So, so all of those change it. I would say you get to decide how much is okay. But I think mm-hmm. almost all photographers who are in this pure seeing, I think that's what it was called originally. It's pure seeing. You can literally point your finger at something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, it was contemporaneous. Um if I take something out that that's at that the edge, you know, I, I take out a wrinkle under your eye or something, i I would say that that's still taking something out that was there and that changes what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now you might just say you're lowering the light level on it so it's less emphasized, and that's that's the gray zone. yeah um, But if you do it habitually, if if your pictures don't work unless you fix them, that's something to pay attention to, you okay. know? Um, and the fun in photography for me of a pure seeing photographer is, can I get it? Can I compose it in that moment? Can I get it in, composed in the frame that was handed to me? Can it's I- It's sort of an
1: interesting term, a pure seeing photographer of like a way to define or differentiate your was, ethics kind of in your work. That It's just not something I've heard you say before.
0: Yeah, it's- um, you know, because I, the thing is, is, like I don't feel like a Luddite. I love the technology. I'm not saying it can't be digital. I'm not yeah. saying you can't Photoshop it or Lightroom it. Um, what I'm saying is if you're adding something to it or taking something out of it, and that's different than taking color out of it or taking light out of it, because that's what the device does, but changing what was there, you are a paint, you're, you're composing... You can compose by rules. Like, I want this bigger to Mm -hmm. the left. I have time to think about it. And I think photographers who enjoy this pure seeing enjoy the challenge of seeing what they can get. Mm -hmm. And the the minute you, it doesn't matter what you get because you're going to fix it in post, add that in, put an airplane here, get a better smile on that person. It's beautiful. It's important. It might be commercial. It might be the It's just a different
1: discipline. It's a different
0: discipline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I I can see that. I like to think about it also, I, maybe I've talked about, um, you know, in sculpting, there's kind of two ways to sculpt. I, I think there's only two. I'm, I'm not a sculptor, but uh, there's what I would call the clay method, which mm-hmm. is you start with a block of clay and you build up. You start with additive. nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. And you, and it's it.
0: additive. And, you, and then you can manipulate what you've got. You can change your mind and work on it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the marble method where mm-hmm. there's no, go. you know, you there's have- There's no take
1: backs. You can't cut less.
0: It's just a work of subtraction until you can't remove anything else. Michelangelo is revealing the the sculpture from the rock. Those two disciplines, even if you're a sculptor, I think sculptors would say are very different approaches to making uh, a sculpture of something. Mm -hmm. In photography, it is uh, studio work is like clay. You know, Mm -hmm. you kind of have an empty stage, an empty frame, and I'm going to put a model here and a thing there and a light here, and I'm going to build up from nothing, and I can Mm -hmm. decide where everything is. That's the way graphic designers work. That's the Mm -hmm. way painters work. You have a canvas, it's blank, and you fill it up. But photographers like Elliot Erwitt and uh, Wallace Wilson and me, if I might put myself in their group, um, Mm -hmm. are looking at a piece of marble. They're looking at the world in its robust complexity and trying to figure out in that moment can they subtract to leave the part that's the picture and not right. all the dis- other noise. Now you might decide my art is about all finding the picture in the noise. Mm-hmm. And so you might choose not to do a lot of that, but in all cases.
1: But you're working you got- with something existing. You're, you're working with what's in these elements. Yeah. I think that's a, actually a really interesting, a, a really valid metaphor. Um,
0: and that's what Photoshop for. is. Photoshop is taking something additive. that was marble and we're now turning it into clay. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. and it's cool. What an amazing thing to be able to do. Right. But now you're a clay sculptor. You're not a marble sculptor. You're doing something yeah. other than that. And I think that increasingly, as all of these digital tools exist, we're looking for something to hang our hat on. It's <laughs> like, we have our hat metaphor today. And <laughs> something to hang your hat on, which is, if you're making it in post-production, you're an artist, you're a painter, yeah. you know, you're you're a sculptor of clay, but that is, I think we need to understand when we look at, a, at an image, is it a photograph or is it a painting? And, you, and it's not incidental. I know it seems like a semantic argument, but I think that that's more and more people are going to pick up cameras and, and it's like, if I can just fictionalize everything in my world and make it the way I want it, I'm a... A storyteller and a painter, that's great, but that is mm-hmm. different than can I use this device of my choosing and all of the constraints implicit in that and get a cool picture, tell a story, capture a moment that I'm not just going home and like, this would be great with a little girl crying right there. Yeah. That would be so nice. Like, of course it would. That's what Eelsman does, you know?
1: Do you sort of feel like it's um, just to bring in another... Like analogy. I mean, it's kind of like documentary film making versus like a studio film where a documentary they have to they're recording. They may have an idea of what they're looking for, but they don't actually know what's going to happen. They have to work with kind of what's getting shot, what's getting captured in the camera to then I know you go to the editing process and then you're you're making Fic- something. You
0: are fictionalizing but, it, but or telling your story but exactly but that seems
1: the same as sort of this, this metaphor, whereas a studio production is everything is created. Everything is generated. You're creating these sets. You're creating these, you know, costumes, everything like that. It um, just kind
0: of Absolutely. popped into my head as sort
1: of like a, a interesting, another, like another discipline that sort of has this divide of like a documentary filmmaker is very different than like a studio filmmaker, or, you know, um, I'd, I'm not actually, what would be the the best term for that as someone Uh, who's making like a career, you know, a a filmmaker who is a fictional, fictional fictionalizer. But there are
0: like docudramas, you know, but we understand that those are not documentaries. Mm -hmm. And there's that kind of weird fringe case that's of course been, again, brought about by AI. I don't know if you remember, what was the documentary? Um, Where they had the journals of, the person they're writing the documentary of. So it's his words, right? Written by him. They have his voice from (laughs) other recordings. And now they used AI to use his voice to read his writings. And they use that to narrate things, but people lost their shit. (laughs) People were like, you can't quite do that. You can't just fictionalize that guy reading that thing or speaking, even though it's made from his voice and it really is his writings but it's you've crossed an ethical line or of course some people feel like but it makes it more entertaining or it feels more so so it's anthony bourdain um Mm -hmm. who whose documentary roadrunner was the documentary roadrunner and yeah like where is that fall in this you know that is definitely that kind of blurring the line but i i think increasingly we need to take sides in this because you can't just kind of willingly decide you're never doing that. And then you do it a little bit, Yeah, you know? So even though it seems like, a, uh, like it's too hard a line, mm-hmm. um, I think increasingly as photographers, that's what we, you're either an artist, a photographic artist, and you make all kinds of cool stuff and that's great. Or, and, and then it, often it becomes about the process. You know, if I make a a cool digital image, I still might Make a negative and make a daguerreotype out of it, or a tintype, and a cool mm-hmm. process. And again, these are photographic arts. Um, right. And I love, and to, I think that, good. Yeah. Sorry.
1: We started talking. So uh, actually, I think on our last episode, we were talking about um, it's a, a, her. She's a Kitsugi artist. I think her name is Kate. Um, that we were talking about her process and she how she uses, you know, colored pencils and oil mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but her process is really interesting. It sort of, it does take us down this path of almost this like analog, you know, kind of Photoshop, analog, you know, clay sculpture um, approach, Don't but- uh,
0: Those are different, uh, the the final output being an object that's handmade, right. that's mm-hmm. that's another element of it. But I think that you can separate that from the the capturing, the photographic part from mm-hmm. the process. Because process is important too. I love all the different kinds of image processing from cyanotypes to, you know, Mm -hmm. coloring on your prints and it makes them unique and it, it does a lot of really beautiful things. But the photographic part, the part that makes it photography for me is the pure seeing part. Did you, is the image I'm looking at a capture of something from an optical device of the world in some way, distorted as it may be? you know you right. uh, so you're, you're considering
1: be. her like so for you for the for this line where you're drawing it because um it's still it's an it's a she's making art she's making like oh, yeah. a she's Absolutely. doing something gorgeous yeah yeah but for you the photography part is because she is capturing something that is there it's not like a studio set right. that she that if she stopped there it would fall into this you know pure seeing if it was
0: pure seeing when it was shot and th- <laughs> Finished the process of of making bringing it to physical form, it doesn't change that or affect that. It could have been piercing and it could have been fictionalized. Yulesman makes, you know, Yulsman made prints that were, you know, physical objects, but it still was fictional. It wasn't pure seeing, but he's still right. making a, a just a unique object, a, a photographic object. Um. I, can, I go back and forth whether these are semantic. We're just like trying to find out how many angels are on the head of a pin kind of thing. But in this in the AI world, I do think we need to draw these lines. And maybe we've said enough about this, but I was, I was calling Carl. Remember our, our buddy, Carl? Absolutely. I, I, I asked Carl if he would think about like, what kind of logo, what kind of icon, what kind of name th- that me and other people like me want to distinguish our work from the stuff that people are doing that is not mm-hmm. pure seeing. I, you just can't look at our stuff and look at AI generated or Photoshop fixed or studio created work and not... Actually, the studio created work could also be pure seeing, but not, not here nor there. Um, but I want to I carve that out and say that's the kind of photographer I am and there should be a name for it so that you mm-hmm. know how to process what we're doing. Otherwise... Yeah. Yeah, I could just make the silliest things in the world in the dark room, and they'd be funnier than Irwitz. But it's not really funny if I just made it. Yeah, Irwitz, is funny. He's poignant because he caught it, mm-hmm. and that cannot be overstated. <laughs> you know, that. Well, is- I'm excited
1: to know. I mean, how does the for this this part of this sort of sub assignment? Um, what is the timeline for you and Carl coming up with this new term and this new logo? I I love this idea, and I think that that is a great way to sort of. Be able to differentiate.
0: Well, I believe that Carl will be hearing about it on the podcast. As we're, <laughs> he's, he's listening to this; he'll hear his name invoked, and maybe that will drive him to to make this surprise. He's he's busy as you are, and so like to persuade him to to help with this. But I think he understands the importance of the distinction. Uh, so so oh, and and not completely uh, not related. I just joined the founding board of a new. Center for for Photographic Arts that's being created in Santa Fe.
1: Oh, fantastic. What is yeah. it called?
0: I think it's called the Center for Photographic Arts or something, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It's, it's new. Um, the board is still hammering out elements like that. It's a stellar mm-hmm. group of people who have gathered to do this and just felt um, it was something that Santa Fe could use, that it's an international center, but there's a lot of photographic work here, people come to Santa Fe both for art and for photography. And how mm-hmm. great, how great would it be to have you know you people come here for the the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum? Uh, I wonder, you know, what if you had the, the Alfred Stieglitz Museum across the street, which would be adorable. Yeah. Uh, actually, in the 21st century, I don't think you would name something for Stieglitz anymore. He's not quite the dude he. He doesn't have the position he maybe once had as we learn more about him. But but yeah. the idea is good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really think it's important to have. So I've just joined that. And hopefully some of these things will be part of the, the uh, agenda of the organization to really, I mean, because we support all photographic arts, yeah. but making that distinction that photography is one of them, you know, uh, it's not all of them. It's just one of them, you know. So anyway, that's my rant of like what's. No, I think I think it's interesting, and
1: i I appreciate the. I think coming up with a new term is perhaps an easier way to differentiate than trying to carve out um, of an existing terminology and saying what is and isn't. So I like the approach, and I think I'm really excited to see what you and Carl come up with.
0: Yeah, Carl, if you're listening, let's get to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, it seems like a good idea.
1: How was so how was Santa Cruz?
0: Santa Cruz was great. I mean, you have
1: some great pictures. Also the waves were just enormous. Did Can you talk see a little bit about what, that?
0: That was like a 50-year storm. Like the week I was in Santa Cruz with the, my family, uh it was it wasn't like raining storm. It was a storm I guess out to sea because these sometimes thirty foot waves were crashing in on um,
1: and how big are the waves in Santa Cruz normally, just so people understand how much bigger that normally oh, is. Oh,
0: that might they they could be none. They could be small, five, five, six foot waves, maybe mm-hmm. ten on a on a nice big surf day kind of thing. Uh, yeah, thirty-foot waves scary. People, yeah. you know, like we're on a cliff that's a good a solid 20, 30 feet above the ocean. You know, West Cliff sits high up and <laughs> and the pictures you saw in the in the post were waves hitting over that and people being surprised that a wave came and just smashed onto the shore up yeah. 30 feet up on a cliff, right? Um, so that was that was fun. It's very photogenic. I stood around, Jonah was, Jonah, my, my son was very patient. So I basically uh, found the composition, you know, a kid watching, a dad stand back, they're silhouetted on the fence and they're looking out mm-hmm. there and I just need that monster wave. And- you know, I stood there for about you know fifteen minutes before he was kind of look, looking a little bored, and I decided it didn't matter. But then I saw that a wave hit maybe fifteen minutes later that was on the news. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, That's, I, I missed it. You know, you got you got to wait to make it great. You have exactly you always wait say to make, you make to it great. To
1: make I was great. just gonna say,
0: and I didn't wait long enough.
1: You've gone to Santa Cruz last. Santa Cruz was great. When we spoke last fall, you were just about to go to Europe uh, on this sort of extended trip. Um, was, how was that? How were the photos?
0: It was amazing. And I will, I'll show you some, I'll post a couple of my favorite pictures. Uh, yeah, I uh, flew into Prague and then t- went to Budapest and Vienna. Had
1: Three you places, been to any of these places before?
0: Not at all. And I had no idea. I had done literally no research. I just, heard, <laughs> I've just heard of them. Uh, a little bit. I'd heard yeah. of them a little bit. And, These things are
1: supposed to be real pretty. I should check it out. Yeah.
0: And, you know, city of bridges, you know, yeah. and Prague and, and there's castles all over the place. It was stunning. Photogenic is mm-hmm. all get up the Danube and whatever. And, you know, it was the beginning of a lot of the global political issues. And so it was a little bit scary, like to show mm-hmm. up in Prague and in, in, uh, November, like less than a month or so later, there was a huge shooting mm-hmm. just in right near the hotel in, in Prague. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved it. And it, it mm-hmm. was fun to just walk around and look, you know, you practice looking. That's photography, right? You're you're practicing seeing. Um, and traveling ne- can help
1: you sort of just be so much more open to seeing new things. I think you have to work so much harder trying to see things in maybe your corner of the world because you're so used to them so i think it can really open open your eyes
0: well the irony is if you if you go somewhere exotic and cool looking like prague mm-hmm. or mount everest everything you take is going to be so surprisingly uh, yeah. delightful not just because it's a great photograph but because it's of something so unusual or different yeah. um the hard part for a photographer, honestly, is shooting the same thing and seeing if you can continue to bring something mm-hmm. to what you see, your yard, your house. The, um, and I think a lot of photographers have trouble where they don't bring enough to the table. And so they rely mm-hmm. on the exter- the external being what makes their photography interesting. Like, I'm, I'm boring. I'm a, I'm a lousy photographer. So I'm going to just keep shooting more and more exotic, beautiful things because that's the only way I can do it. Hmm. And I think that that's, it's wonderful. I hate to dump on people doing that, but if you want to really work on your photography, try shooting the rock in your backyard every day until you can make uh, 10 beautiful photographs of it. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. So if you're, if you're interested in photography as the practice of getting, seeing better and all that, then, then you don't need to go to Prague. However, if you are good and you Mm -hmm. like your photography, going to Mount Everest or Prague is really awesome. (laughs) You know, it's really great to have cool things to shoot, you know.
1: Do you have a photograph, like, do you have a favorite photograph of the trip? If you could pick one from Prague, I won't make you do for the whole trip, but if you could pick one from Prague, or if you wanted to talk about one from Vienna, um, or one from Budapest, what is that first picture that pops into your mind that you're just really especially proud of?
0: Hmm. it's a good question. I would kind of have, it's been a, been a couple months. I'd have to think through it. It it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as obvious as you think. Like this kind of there was a picture. the The Eastern Bloc has the, they've made it very beautiful now. You know, in the past few decades, they've really renovated for tourists or for the for the economy. But if you walk far enough into Prague or into Vienna, mm-hmm. you you get off the beaten path and you see sort of the the facade that they've put on breaking down and seeing the rubble underneath it in a way. And mm. so, you know, I I like cracks and stuff like that and I'm trying sometimes I try to to look at the, those cliche things of, of peeling paint and bricks and all that stuff and can I get a composition or a moment in it. So, honestly, I think one of my favorites is just a wall in I think it was Budapest. Yeah. Where, you know, you sort of had the plaster breaking and the bricks underneath it and the paint wearing down and and stuff like that. Uh, I did walk through the streets. They have um, glass square tiles in the ground that line many streets. I guess there's stuff underneath and it lets light underneath. Mm -hmm. And many of them are are broken. And you know how I I like this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I'm walking the streets of Prague shooting down the Mm -hmm. cracked tiles all over town, all over So I have a kind of a an array of beautiful crack tiles from the streets of Prague. Oh, interesting. It, it could be anywhere, but it yeah. was Prague and I, I kinda I kinda liked those, you know. Um the, the thing that, that actually happened over the past few months that was maybe the biggest surprise was um I made some blurb books and I'd done I've been doing of your
1: travels. Of- Or of of various things. Once I
0: discovered, I mean, I've used Blurb over the years. (laughs) Sometimes it feels easy to use and sometimes it feels hard to use. I Mm -hmm. made um, some books using Lulu, which is another Mm -hmm. print on demand service. And that was very economical and really nice for making uh, affordable, nice-ish copies of like the photograph is Haiku. But I went back to Blurb. Um, I made a birthday book for a friend where I just took the best pictures over 10 years and, mm-hmm. and and put them together. And I made it as a coffee table book. So it's like, it's big. Oh, wow. And it's completely not affordable. Like it's ridiculously expensive to do because you're making one, but I made one mm-hmm. and it was gorgeous. It was my favorite presentation, maybe better oh. than like when I make a print, you know, I only make one print. Someone yeah. gets that print, then the print's gone. But a book really is a great avenue of distributing pictures you can get more yeah. in there and you can tell a kind of a story so i made a a travelog of the trip to to budapest mm-hmm. i have made a travelog from iceland and and um, that book i love and the birthday mm-hmm. books i've made of pictures i love and so i'm sort of born again into the blurb books i'm oh, having fun y- yeah. it takes a little trial and error to figure out like what looks right and it's harder than you think to lay out a book but if you what do is
1: it that the challenge of like the juxtaposition on when is it a blank page, when it's two pictures facing, is it the well, cropping? What is what is the some of these challenges?
0: You know how like in architecture, when someone buys a lot of a property and they build mm-hmm. a, a mansion on it and they go to the edges of the property because you bought this expensive property, so you're gonna yeah. freaking maximize it. Right a McMansion. With this, yeah, you end up with these gross McMansions that fill the properties horribly. And there is a tendency yeah. when you're making a photo book to make your pictures as big as friggin' possible because you're paying for this expensive page in a book. And so Mm. let's make my picture giant, but it really isn't the way to do it. And what book designers know is that white space is valuable and important, maybe more important sometimes than the picture. It's like, and so, well, of course, it's not more important than the picture. But you know, using white space smartly, and I think between my first version of a book and like the sixth or seventh that I've now done uh, recently, I've been making the pictures smaller on the pages and playing around with that more because they mm-hmm. were just too big. You could in a, in a large book, a large picture. Uh, it put, it makes you want to stand back from it. You know, you're pushing back, and in a book forces you to be kind of close.
1: Yeah, Whereas yeah, okay.
0: if if you print it and put it on a wall, people find their distance. You know what I mean? Uh, but in a book, you're you're establishing that arm's length, and so you have to decide that that is big enough. I'm not yeah. going to oversize that, and that was a lesson was for really me.
1: Really good insight. Yeah, I mean, because you're actually taking in into account sort of. The spatial design and like the experience of your viewer um, mm-hmm. as you're as you're designing it. That's a that's, and so it depends too the scale of the book and obviously what the picture is of. That's that's really that's a good insight.
0: Yeah, and some people had said they wished the photograph as haiku had more pages, more pictures in it to illustrate. And while my objective was to make it as short, light, and inexpensive as humanly possible, so most people could afford it and and learn. Yeah, I I did go back and I made one version of The Photographist Haiku as an art book where it's giant. I added more photos in it. I kept the text the same, but it's now-
1: They print on demand, right? You could have a link to that book and people could order their own and it's just printed as needed.
0: That's correct. But it's also a, you know, it's like a $200 book. It's like you don't just, you know, which is cheaper than the photos themselves, but uh, it's an expensive book. It's an expensive book, but it is is one of my favorite things I think I've ever created. Like I I love looking at this book and the pictures reproduced really nicely in blurb and um, you just need to wait till blurb books are on sale. You know, that's uh, what I would say.
1: All right. Well, now our next episode may be sponsored by Blurb.
0: Um, <laughs> right. I wish I, I had a uh, coupon or something.
1: I uh, no. I, I I think that this is really interesting, and actually, maybe we can talk more about this because I think there are so many people that we have so many pictures on our phones. What, what do we do with them? I think we've talked a lot about the importance of printing, the importance yes. of like seeing the photographs. And even me, you know, in our hallway, we have all of these photographs of from casual family moments to more of these, you know, portraits and pictures and things that actually are, um, you know, really about like the, the the people in them and not just like a casual snapshot. Um, but. It's important to see them, so I think the idea of having books and making books is a really nice thing and kind of a throwback to when we used to have photo albums. It is and, and look at those.
0: And, and you're right. It when I when I've said in the past that I like think it's super important <laughs> you print. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying you need to make a fine art print, a big giant fine art print that's framed on the wall, just to make a physical object. And a book is a great physical object. Yeah. It's so nice and it feels as special to me as a print. You know, yeah. I'm, I sit with it and I go through it and uh it is like scrapbooking. I I was a scrapbooker. Were you ever a scrapbooker? No. That's not your thing.
1: I don't have time for that. Well, <laughs> I love well, that, I love that people do that, but I've <laughs> never uh no. Even I've when never, you were
0: younger and like you're like you not a hmm. We
1: would put we would put pictures in photo albums, but I never had the patience to sort of like lay out like cut a movie ticket so that it's yeah, like this yeah. like I just uh I loved that people did it. It just was not my thing. I would hmm. make other things, like I would build things or create other <laughs> elements, but the, the 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 2D page always felt very like almost too flat for me.
0: But here we are in photography, which is already <laughs> this 2D object already. Surreally flat. I I, I love the uh, the juxtaposition that I like creating in photos. You also yeah. create in a book or in a scrapbook, yeah. right? What goes next to this? Um, mm-hmm. I did find that in almost all the books I was making, I could not escape chronological as an organizing feature. It mm. felt weird when I moved a picture w- to a better juxtaposition. Like these two look good together. It would make me insane. If they were not, if that was a chronological error, like those didn't happen that way. I need this to be later in the book when it happened. Um, for at least for a, a tr- the travel book, but even no, no, I take that back. Even the birthday book, where I'm showing pictures over five or six years. Of my I favorite can see pictures. the birthday
1: book being more important, but I think for I mean, I, I don't know. I think that'd be interesting if you brought in a second opinion <laughs> of like if, if this is like the Prague section, but as you moved those those around, it. I don't know for anyone else because they could have walked the city differently. It's not that you're I, disrupting this narrative, but for you, I think that's interesting that you you need that. It's I not do. it's not oh about the viewer. It's about your it
0: preference. makes me crazy. And in fact, in in the birthday book, I had one picture. I moved from where it was in time to where it needed to go in the book. And now that, when I look at the book, every time I get there, I have a moment of like, I can't believe I moved that picture to here. It's so wrong. And no, of course, no one would know that. That's what's so nice about the haiku book. I will say that. Those pictures are out of chronology. They really are just my favorite mm-hmm. pictures juxtaposed in interesting ways with this with the narrative. Uh, yeah. But I can't do that in I, I don't I don't have the capacity for doing that. Um because
1: pure seeing photography is capturing a moment in time and you want to maintain that time. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it you're is gonna time. Hang me.
0: You're going to hang me on that petard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I think it's time we wrap it up. Great. Um, our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco and Santa Fe. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos and post comments. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever service you're listening to us on now. Please leave reviews and ratings, especially if you like us.
0: We get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. If you know someone who might get something from us, please send them a link. Thanks to Mitchell Foreman, as always, for our theme music and all of you for hanging out and putting up with our erratic schedules. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some more things to think about. Until next time.